innovative storyteller, brand builder, young superstar. Those are the words that helped me describe our guest this week after talking with him about becoming second in command at one of the most innovative financial advisory firms in the country and then starting his own consulting company for financial advisors. And he is only in his 30s. This week, Gabe Muller joins us to talk about building an innovative financial advisory firm, and how to brand the firm through effective storytelling. As the COO of Glassman Wealth, Gabe showed an ability to grow a business, but more importantly, build a brand that hinges and focuses on the client value, but innovative on how to deliver that value and staying ahead of the competition. And now Gabe helps other financial firms do just that, build an effective brand. From video content to utilizing Facebook as a communication point with clients, Gabe brings a forward-thinking perspective to advisors, helping them stay on the leading edge and build forward-thinking, high-impact firms. Innovation and differentiation in the financial advisory space is what separates Gabe from the rest of the pack. This is Bridging the Gap with your host, Matt Reiner. Gabe Moeller, what's going on, man? Matt, how are you? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. How's the uh, how's the weather up in D.C.? Cold, snowy yet? What is it? You know, it's been uh, right now. It's actually I think it's in its 50s, but uh, I think uh, tomorrow it's supposed to be in its 30s with perhaps a, a chance of snow. So it's all over the place as as it typically is. So right. you know, quite the adventure day to day. Right, keeps you on your toes. But as being a pilot, that's not necessarily good for flying, right? So you uh, you fly yourself around. <clears throat> yes, that is correct. I do. I do a lot of flying. I actually um, have my own pilots club that we have been building here in the Washington, D.C. area for about three or four years now. And I think just today we hit almost 245 members of our group on Facebook. So uh, it's been a really interesting ride to kind of build that group. And uh, as a matter of fact, um, Sunday, we'll be taking a, a group of airplanes uh, down towards uh, Southern Virginia for some breakfast, and then we'll head back home. So we do that on a monthly basis. It's a lot of fun. Wow. So you guys get 240 people all in their own planes flying down to different areas? Right. So let me clarify. So we have in, in the Facebook group, we have about 240 members. Within the D.C. area here, I have probably you know between 10 and 20 people who actually uh, join those flyouts just based on circumstances. Mm-hmm. And so uh, I think this weekend we have seven airplanes going, um, and I think we'll have probably about 15 people. So it's pretty cool. Uh, it, it's just based on uh, if everybody's available or if someone's available and we have aircraft avail- available that we just jump in and we go. So uh, it's been a lot of fun. I think this is probably our, I don't know, 50 or 60th flyout, probably. That's um, great. So it's been fun. Where's the farthest place y'all flown to? Um, you know, we actually flew up to New York City one time, flew the, the New York corridor, which was really cool. Flying below the, the skyline was uh, super interesting, especially with the times that we're in. Um, but um, I've flown down to uh, Kitty Hawk, which is first flight where the Wright brothers took off, which was a really interesting flyout as well. Um, but, you know, it's, it's a great group of people and I absolutely love it. It's so much fun to put together these meetings and, uh, and, and speakers so that we can learn from each other and, and just build better relationships and have a lot of fun doing it. Yeah. And do you document a lot of those flights on your vlog? So I know that you have your own vlog out there that people can follow. So are you documenting some of these on, on there? Yes, I absolutely do. So a uh, big fan of uh, uh, putting cameras in the airplane before we take off, whether it's under the wing or, you know, in the cockpit. 
but uh, coming back home and, and chopping it up, not only just for the video's sake and just remembering that, but you actually learn a lot um, by doing that, you know, different things that you may have done differently and solve, you know, that you maybe didn't catch during the flight. So you learn a lot from that, but at the same time, you can also share that information with others and uh, it, it builds a little bit of a buzz. And so it's pretty cool to be able to document what it is that we're doing and, you know, to be able to see it years down the road. That's awesome. That is awesome. I, uh, I like to have people fly me around. I don't trust myself at the helm uh, or at the uh, the piloting a, a plane. So people like you are the ones that we appreciate to get us from point A to point B. Yeah. Uh, well, let, let's. I, I'm excited about this conversation. Um, we've had a lot of interesting conversations. Uh, some of which uh, we've we've shared on social media as well. And. Um, and I, I think that your background and kind of your vision is is really innovative in this space, and especially in a world that uh, financial advisory world where we're trying to get more innovative as firms, we're trying to stay ahead of the competition. Uh, and I think you bring a good, a, a great perspective there. And I really want to start on this idea of storytelling. We've talked about it, you and I, before a good amount. Um, and, I, and I really think that the perspective of bringing storytelling into financial advisors firms is unique. Um, and so you know, what does it mean for a brand or a company, a financial advisory firm, if we want to be more specific, to be really a good storyteller? Well, you know, it's a really interesting question. And I think that this is going to be one of those uh, major drivers of growth for firms moving forward. I think being a good storyteller uh, really requires you understanding what your vision is uh, and building stories around that. And, And just for example, I mean, Right here at the beginning of this conversation, we talked about documenting versus creating, right? And I think storytelling, documenting what it is you're already doing for people um, versus trying to put all the pressure on you to create something to share with the world. Essentially, if you're providing a phenomenal client experience, there's no reason that you can't share that in in the appropriate ways. Um, And you're essentially documenting what you're already doing versus thinking of something to share with the world that perhaps you're not doing. So removing the pressure, I think taking... Uh, the client experience of what you've designed and sharing that with the with your current clients, but then with the world, I think is a really great way to approach it. Um, and like I said, I think it removes a lot of the pressure. I'll oftentimes say for clients or for advisors who are working with their clients, uh, what were the two questions you answered for them during the meeting that uh, was very impactful for them? Um, perhaps others have that same question. Why not? Let's share that with the world how we helped them uh, and how they left that meeting feeling confident and better than what they did before. Mm -hmm. So I think it's just, again, I'd reiterate the whole document versus creating concept. And that mindset will really help you, I think, build that story. And I I think that that's an interesting way of thinking about it because I I think so often people think that if they have to tell a story, they have to start thinking of new ways of presenting their firm and their company and their value prop. And and they, they start building up this value prop that may be, you know, overly aggressive, right? In the sense of just trying to get it outside of from a marketing standpoint. But I guess the question is, is also the idea of how to document it, right? And how to tell that story. What have you seen as being the most effective where it doesn't take a ton of effort because you're already doing it, but where you can document it and have effectiveness to really win over new people and also build kind of great relationships with current clients? Yeah, again, great question. I mean, I think it really comes down to the culture of your firm and really what uh, drives your firm, uh, and, I, and that, sh- that varies across the board, right? Um, if you have a firm that is very innovative 
in the way in which they think. Um, perhaps we pull in some different ideas as far as how to share that, whether it's through video, whether it's through blogs, whether it's through audio podcasts, whatever it might be. But I think really understanding the culture of the firm and what your clients want and need and how they want it uh, and really personalizing those types of messages to them. So for example, I think what I've seen work well in the past is that trying out video, <clears throat> trying out video as far as helping a client understand prior to even getting into a client meeting, what they're going to expect, what they're going to be able to learn, uh, giving them the ability to kind of digest that information prior to them even walking into the meeting so that they're well-equipped and they're not feeling overwhelmed uh, when the advisor starts going through that. So taking uh, a client's portal, for example, and having the advisor sit down prior to that meeting, that in-person meeting, and do a quick screen capture and maybe a five to 10-minute you know, overview of their portfolio, send that to the client in a very secure way, let them digest that, and they come prepared. And what I've seen is the value of those meetings have increased tremendously because then they're able to focus on other topics that otherwise maybe they didn't have time. So it's a really interesting way to think about it. But it's, I, again, I think it comes back to your culture of the firm, the people that are on board, um, embracing technology. And, you know, if that's not the style that you want, then, you know, that's going to be, a, it's going to be a challenge. But I think having the right people on us and having that mindset of always evolving and just trying things out to see what works. Right. And I guess for the advisor that's out there, because I think that I love that idea of doing like a 10 sec or 10 minute screen grab and just kind of prepping the meeting so that at least when they come in, the meeting flows a way that you guys both can understand and, and be ready for. But the, the company that you said, you have to understand your culture, you have to understand your vision, which now you're starting to bring in this idea of really having to business size a financial advisory firm, right? And a lot of financial advisors are, it's a, it's a, it's a lifestyle business. And, you know, there's going to be a separation between those that business size versus not. Where do they start, right? Yeah, the, doing that video is a good spot, but how can a firm just get started to start figuring all that stuff out, figuring out who's the right people on the bus, how to start approaching them and understanding that? Where, where, where are some things that people can take away from there? Yeah, it's, there's, there's so much to that. I think um, it really starts with the founder, the advisor who actually found that company. Uh, let's just take, for example, like you said, the lifestyle business was do they have the goal of wanting to build a bigger organization bigger than themselves? Is that something that they're wanting to do? And if, if that, if that is great, then we can really start to dive into, do we have the right people? Do we need to hire additional talent? Do we need to perhaps purchase additional technology pieces? But I think it starts with the owner as far as what their vision is. And as soon as we know that they do want to take it to the next level, I think it's really uh, building the core values of the team. Uh, I'll give you an example. Um, when I worked at my previous firm, we really started with the core values as far as, you know, we always curious, we're very innovative. We're very much looking for the next solution. That's a part of our culture, which then helped us, you know, think through different innovative ways to provide solutions to clients. So I think really understanding what your goal is as far as the long-term plan for your business. Um, are there additional hires that you need to do in order to make these types of things work? Um, and really starting small and starting simple. And I think for a takeaway, as you said, don't overthink it. I think most of the time we feel like as advisors, we need to put all this strategy around what we're about to do and really perfect what it is we're going to do before we even try it. 
And I think it's just trying it. I think it's sitting down and starting small. And I think one way to do that is, again, what are you hearing as far as from your clients? What's working well? What's not? And writing about that, documenting that and start your blog, start your online social presence, start your, you know, um, if if you're going to do video, start to just chip away at it one day at a time so that the momentum starts. And I wouldn't hold back. I would really just try to evolve and make sure that you're focusing on progress versus perfection and, uh, and really just start. And so if, if you really want to grow as a firm, um, you want to make sure that the people on your team are also being provided phenomenal opportunities so that they can grow themselves too. And so really, again, I can talk all day about culture, I think, because mm-hmm. when it comes down to it, most of this, we, we can talk about technology and starting, but it really is the people who are running that technology, um, who have that growth mindset, who want to try new things. Oh, and by the way, provide a phenomenal client experience. So to me, the biggest takeaway on that, just start small. Start with something that you are very passionate about as far as if it's writing, if it's a quick little video that you can start building out your library and just start. Just don't wait. And you know that you bring up a good point that it doesn't necessarily have to be you as the owner or the founder or the CEO or even the COO. You have to have that vision, right? You have to have that be adopted to it, but empower (laughs) one of your other employees that wants to take on an initiative and knows maybe these systems a little bit better than you and, and wants to, you know, add a unique value and they can take it over. They can start the blog, but empower them and have that culture and push them to do that. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, those those founders who understand that building an organization oftentimes requires them to delegate and just very much give up a lot of those different things that they're not that good at. And by the way, they shouldn't be because they're the they're the founder. They're the, the they really started with the clients. I mean, they're the they have a different skill set than what your other team members should have. And so empower them and just really let them give them some guardrails, but let them run with that innovative way of thinking. Um, I'll tell you a quick story. I think um, finding talent that can do that is key, right? And so one of the things that we used to ask during the interview process um, at my old firm was, tell me about an app that you've recently found and that you found incredibly valuable and who did you tell about it? And so that particular question during the interview process is super interesting because one, you kind of get to know whether they actually believe in technology and actually use apps and do all of that thing. Right. But more importantly, I think it was, did they find it valuable and did they share that with somebody? How did they then share that story with them? And so that you got, you kind of got the little sense as far as how they tell a story and actually do they really like to help people? So you can Mm -hmm. unpack a bunch of stuff from that question. And that was in an interview process. And most people come through that and they kind of look at you like, well, that's an interesting question. But it actually is, is very powerful. Yeah, no, that is, um, I actually love that because it, uh, the easy answer would be like, oh, I found Facebook valuable and I told them and I, all my friends are using it. But if they actually have something that's unique that you haven't thought of and they're able to explain it to you and make you feel like it's valuable, then they can take that story mm-hmm. and tell other stories to others. Um, I, I think, the, the, so the one question I want to move into real quick is, so we're talking about culture, we're talking about vision, we're talking about having adoption by the owners or the founders and the, the leadership team. You sit on the, you, you sat on a lot of boards at Schwab and, and some of the other big players around and you've, and you talk with a lot of advisors and you see a lot that's going on around the, the industry. Oh, tell us what are some of the, the biggest 
challenges facing independent RAs today. Um, and then, and then we can maybe get into how we can overcome some of them. But what are some of the challenges that you're finding within the independent RA space uh, as we sit here today? Well, I think that our space in particular, the advisors have been inundated with multiple options, right? There's so many different solutions out there. And all the advisors are looking at, wow, this company came out with this particular product and we can just purchase that and then we'll be set. Uh, you know, I was listening to your the one of your previous guests and they said, you know, you just purchased HubSpot and now we got a marketing plan. Well, it doesn't work that way, right? <laughs> and so it's it's sort of uh, you 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 have your tool, but then you got to put the process around it. And so I think with the amount of choices that we have within our industry for advisors, I think it's paralyzing them to make actually a choice. Mm-hmm. Um, and so for those that actually do honing in on what it is that they really want to do for their clients and then finding the perfect solution for that and making sure that you have somebody on your team that is going to absolutely run with that um, and own that. Um, but I think a lot of the challenge comes from, like I said, just so many different options that are out there that it's just like the next shiny objects uh, sort of feel. And it's not a plug and play situation. You really want to figure out what your core competencies are within your firm and then find that solution. and not try to overcomplicate it. I think that's one of the things that we used to do pretty well, I think, at Glassman was we didn't overcomplicate things. It was very much, um, we kept it simple. And, you know, we didn't have to always find that next solution because we knew that that wasn't really going to move the needle, perhaps. And so I think one of the challenges, too, is that some advisors <clears throat> shy away from the technology because they find it as a threat. And I think if you change that and flip that on its head and look at uh, look at the opportunity that you can have with using technology and utilizing it the correct way, um, you can actually really scale your business pretty well if that's what you want to do. Right. If you don't, then fine. But I think trying not to be uh, threatened by technology uh, because we're human and there's always going to be a human connection there. There's always going to be somebody running that technology as well. And just diving into it and u- utilizing it as a value add versus something that's going to be threatening you or your business. Yeah, and I think that the you know there's two points that, that you alluded to there. Was one is that it doesn't have to be perfect, right? Be okay with the technology not working exactly how you envisioned right away, but be okay with the process and committed to the process of iterating it from that standpoint. But then the second the second aspect is that you know just buying the solution doesn't doesn't solve your problems. And I think that there's a lot of people. So, you know, we've been fortunate enough to talk to a lot of advisors as well. And it's so funny. There's two ends of the spectrum. You got one end, nobody uses technology. They don't want to use it all. And then you got the other end, which they have so many different, they have 45 different technology solutions. And I'm like, there's no way you're using all those effectively, right? There's no way they're integrated to really create the efficiencies that they're supposed to. And you got to find that happy medium, find those tools that help you. But in order to, understand what tools help you, you have to understand your vision, your culture, and you have to have some processes in place to help you understand what's going to help you get to where you want to get to. That, that's exactly right. And I'll tell you this, one of the things that we did at, at Glassman years ago was we surveyed our clients and asked you know, a wide range of questions. And when I say surveyed, we actually had them interviewed so that we could really understand what they found valuable about us, right? And the three things that they... that we're way, we were able to sum it up in three different ways, which was our clients found us smart, innovative, and personal, personable. So 
all of the decisions that we would then make, whether it's through hiring, through technology, whatever it was, we put it through that lens, right? Mm. Is this going to be smart, innovative, and personal? If so, cool, let's move forward. Let's actually embrace this and make this happen. Because then what we were doing was playing back to the client exactly what they found valuable. So then therefore we can move forward with that. And, and it's always about providing that value to that client the way that they said that they wanted that, right? Right. So all of the decisions, having a decision filter is super helpful. Um, but again, like to your point, it comes down to what is, what is your vision? Yeah. And I think that that gets back to, I mean, another big point, right? Is that talking to your clients, I think that there's so many people out there that believe that, um, you know, their clients don't want a text message. Their clients don't read the emails. Their clients don't read a blog. But the thing is, is we never sit there and ask them. We never say, how do you consume information? Are you on Facebook? Would, would it be okay if we put videos on Facebook where you just start to get to know us a little bit more? Can we friend you on Facebook? Um, and clients are so, advisors are, I think, wor- I don't know why it is, right? Why are we so worried to ask the clients what they want? Because maybe it exposes something that we thought wasn't true is actually true. Yeah, you bring up a great, <laughs> a great topic because I think a lot of times advisors assume they know what their clients want versus as you said, asking them, right? We assume that they don't want to be friends on Facebook. We assume that they don't want to, you know, get that, you know, that text of, Hey, happy birthday. Cause we don't really want to intrude on their personal space. Well, guess what? Our business is personal and it's, it, that's what it is. And I think bringing everything to a, a level of which we we're all humans. We all love to be authentic and, no one's diff- no one we're really not that different right so why not be who you are be authentic to who that is and help them with whatever they want how they want that and mm-hmm. i think customizing the experience that we provide to clients in such a way really shows a lot about your firm and about your culture and, and your way of thinking um, because it's not about just coming in you know in a suit and tie as an advisor and sitting across from the table from them and feeling well because you gave them a you know a 50 page portfolio book and then that's your value add. It's much more than that. Mm-hmm. And so you really got to get away from you know, that old school mindset. I mean, we ask our clients a lot of questions, right? You sit there and you ask them a lot of questions. You get to know their life. They open up to you of their good, the bad, the ugly, you know, from expenses to, to investing, to saving, whatever it may be. But we're so, we're so uh, kind of gated in terms of what we expose to them. And I, it's always funny to hear that advisors don't want to be friends with their clients on Facebook because they don't want them to see what goes on in their personal life. And I say, well, you know everything about this client. Uh, think about how strong that bond could be if they know something about you. Even, yeah, you drink on the weekends with your buddies at a barbecue. That's cool. People can respect that. You can still manage money and be a real human as well. Right. Absolutely. And not to, you know, continue down this, this path, but I think that again, from experience, although I was never an advisor, I actually was, am friends with most of our clients on Facebook or social or here or there. And it was so cool to be able to do something and then share that on social. And then, you know, maybe I see them in the next few weeks or, you know, in the next meeting and they actually bring that up. And I say, hey, I saw that you were hanging out with your granddaughter at a winery the other day. How was it? Like it builds such a, a connection. Mm-hmm. And they're like, well, that's interesting. You actually remembered that, of course, because we're consuming all this stuff every day. And I think we're getting to be very good at remembering that stuff because, you know, the pictures, the videos, all of that stuff on Facebook. And then it triggers you to think about that. And it builds such a better relationship. And I mm-hmm. think 
in a, in a, in a real relationship, right? And it's an actually real conversation around real things that we're doing in both of our lives. And I think that's a cool thing. Yeah. I, I mean, a relationship is strengthened by both sides. And so whatever you can do to continue to build that bond and build that family uh, with the, with your clients, I think is really valuable. I want to, before we get into our buy, sell game, I want to ask you one more question. I want you to take out your crystal ball and I want you to show, talk to us about where you see this industry five years from today, right? How does the financial advisor business, financial advisory business or the advisor client relationship look different five years from now than it does today. And so I'm going to hold you to this. I'm going to record this, make sure I air it five years from today. Uh, but where do you see it? Where do you see the industry going? So that's a, that's a tough question. I think that what could happen is that I think there's going to be massive disruption from some massive entity that we're not even aware of at this point. And when I say that, you know, I, had a lot of these conversations. I think it could be very some, something very similar to, you know, having an Amazon or a Google come in and just take over our type of industry, um, blindsided us, and you know, five years from now, go, what the hell just happened? Um, massive disruption within that tech space, and, and, and an Amazon or Google come in, and maybe not Google, but I think Amazon very well could. Um, Google maybe not, just because of all the regulations and things like that. But I think as advisors, we want to be sure that we're not thinking that five years from now, we're going to be out of business because of the whole robo talk. I think it's going to be much bigger than that. Mm-hmm. It's going to be, you know, you had a prime account. Well, cool. Now you've got a free investment account. You can buy and sell all your mutual funds and stocks all day. No mm-hmm. problem. Right. So I think that could be something within five years that could very well happen. And really, that's not that far away. I mean, that that's that could happen pretty quick. Um I think as far as the client advisor relationship, it has to be much more interactive using technology and video and being more of a fluid relationship versus a four times per year, I'm going to see my clients or whatever interval it is that you decided is the best (laughs) interval to do. Mm -hmm. But you're utilizing technology and video and just anything that you can to build. It's almost like it's happening, but you don't even realize it's happening as far as giving advice and being there for your client because the technology is going to allow us to do that. Advisors are going to have to absolutely, absolutely embrace that because if they're not, they're, they're, they'll be out of business before then. For yeah. Sure. Yeah. No. And I think that the Amazon or Google, it may not compete. It may not steal business away, but they may build solutions that are going to allow other firms to compete more easily and effectively with you. Uh, in, in that sense, right? Like they can build some solutions, mm-hmm. whether it's their machine learning, AI, whatever it is, but then they can ultimately get into the financial advisory world. They have a ton of data. They know and they can predict. Right. And so I think that in some way they are going to compete with us, uh, maybe not directly, but they're going to allow others <laughs> to compete with us. Um, mm-hmm. All right, so let's get into buy or sell. Buy or sell is a very simple game. We're going to see if you're a bull or a bear, and I position the questions to see to, to lead you one way or the other, so we'll see if, if I lead you correctly. Um, it's a way for me to kind of bridge the gap between what we're talking about innovation and financial advisors. It's something we all get. So I'm going to give you a statement. You say buy or sell. We can talk about it for a minute, and then we'll move on to the next. I got four of them for you, all right? All right. All right, buy or sell. The value of the advisor-client relationship can be strengthened via innovative technology tools of today. I'm, this is, a, this is a, a softball for you. Absolutely. It's a buy. 
It, it, walk me through what did you what are you seeing as some of those tools that companies can use to be innovative in terms of their communication with their clients you talked about video a little bit how can they use mm-hmm. that what, what does that look like so one of the things that I think a lot of advisors in our space kind of we, we look at the technology that's available to us basically based on this industry right everything that is being built is specifically for our industry well I would I would encourage advisors to look outside of our industry, for example, um, using, like I said, if we're going to be screen capturing video, well, you you need to invest in some, you know, Snagit technology or TechSmith technology, right? That's a piece where most advisors, that's not even on their radar, Mm -hmm. but that's a small nuance where, and by the way, it's super cheap that if you (laughs) invest in that for all of your advisors, and you then utilize a, a platform like Wistia, where you can house those videos and send in a, in a secure way. Those two pieces of technology have just done that for you. And it's not a CRM, it's not paperless uh, e-signature stuff. It's simply those two tools that we merge together and then provide that client experience. And, and it costs you know a few hundred bucks to do. Right. So huge, huge opportunity in those types of things, I think. I love that. Um, all right, buy or sell. Early robo advisors like the Betterment's Wealthfronts, etc., the world's will evolve into brick and mortar competition to today's RIAs. I would say sell on that. Or why? I don't think that. Um, I mean, it's, it's an interesting question. I don't think that the advisor relationship uh, that. You know, advisors who actually know what they're doing for their clients and provide a phenomenal value based on the relationship that you know a robo is going to build a you know build a brick and mortar business and take them out. I don't I don't think that's going to happen just because these relationships are complicated. They're complex. You've got a lot of things that are emotional, and I think that uh, that type of service and that type of uh, mindset is going to be something that you know if, if, if that's what you provide value on, you're going to be just fine. I don't think that. Uh, I would think of it that way. I think too, if you looked at it from the other side of the coin, you could say that you could use a robo to actually enhance your business, right? And, and actually figure out a way to add value through it versus mm-hmm. you know having it come in and maybe be a competition to you. So I, I don't think that there's much there. I, I really don't. All right. Hey, to each their own. That's why we play the game. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I like that. I like that. I like, yeah, I like your answer. <laughs> the, whatever, man. Like, we're going to cut that. That was terrible. Uh, we're going to move on. No, I'm just kidding. No, I, I can agree with that. I think that there's some uh, there's some theses around or hypotheses around, you know, the cost of marketing with a brick and mortar, and they already have the technology. But I, I, that's not their model. And uh, But their right. model also wasn't to have humans, and now they have humans. At least Betterment does, and Vanguard does, and, right. and Schwab right. does. But... Well, that's for another podcast. We'll bring it on for episode, uh, part two, part dose. Uh, Buy or sell, the biggest firms of tomorrow will grow based on 95% of their business coming from referrals. Mm, Yeah, that's, uh, I'd say buy on that. Although 95% is, that's pretty high on referrals. I think that if we step back and look at it from a different standpoint, you know, if you're providing a phenomenal client experience and you are absolutely killing it and providing them a value how they want, when they want, where they want, on what device they want, you're going to be referred. But I also think that 
that's a phenomenal story to tell. So your marketing efforts are gonna go through the roof because in your brand, and so therefore you're probably gonna start to create more business just based on your brand mm -hmm. because of what you're already doing. So, you know, I think the referrals are probably gonna be pretty high, but I also think maybe not as high as 95%, but I think coming back to, you know, maybe 60%, it could be half and half. Right. But I think if you, if you really solidify that client experience and then share that with the world, that's a great story and you're gonna build your business that way. Yeah, create multiple legs to the stool, right? That you can, that you can mm -hmm. stand on. Uh, so last question, buy or sell, Financial advisors can't have enough technology within their firm. Sell. Yeah. Sell. Absolutely. I mean, we, we kind of alluded to that a little while ago, but I think if you it, you really lose your focus when you have so many different solutions that you're not great at any of them. And uh, it's better to have a few that you really can leverage as much as possible, making sure you got the right people running it. But uh, yeah, you can definitely have too much technology. Yeah. All right. So two for two. It's kind of like a, you're just in a neutral market. You're <laughs> yeah. in a neutral market. Yeah. That's okay. Yeah. It's a sideways yeah. market today. Balance. Right. Yeah, that's yeah. good. Um, all right. I'm going to give you 90 seconds or less to give your closing thoughts and, and, and maybe give the, the listeners, you know, one or two things that they can take away and implement into their firm tomorrow uh, to be a better storyteller uh, and builder of their own brand as a firm. What are two things that they could take away uh, and, and go implement tomorrow? So two things that they can take away and implement tomorrow. Um, sit down and very much create a vivid vision for what it is that you want to do with your firm. Very much uh, look to the, you know, one, two, three years out and create a vision so that all of your team members can follow it. And once you have that vision, start determining how it is that you really want to service your clients and how you're going to provide that remarkable client experience. And if it's through technology, then start laying out what it is that you're going to need uh, or uh, figuring out what, you know, what other solutions, people, resources that you're going to need as well. Um, again, I think the biggest takeaway I would have, though, is just keep it simple, but make sure that you nail your vision. Um, from that point, you know, as you begin building out your, your offering, there is absolutely zero reason that everyone on your team shouldn't be responsible for some sort of content based on the value that they're providing to, to their clients. So I think stay humble, keep your perspective, um, and just always be evolving uh, in a way that you're documenting what you're doing versus creating something new. I love that. I love that. And I think that's something that everybody can do and start with tomorrow. And, and I think that there's a lot of people within a firm that would want to take that uh, ownership of uh, being empowered with some of those ideas. And I'm going to take my 90 seconds here with a closing thought as well. Financial advisors fear fee compression. The concept of passive asset allocation is being challenged by robo-advisors and large custodians that charge basically nothing to invest individuals' monies. Technology has seemingly commoditized investment management. So, as a financial advisor, we're left looking in the mirror to find ways to ensure we provide the value that is representative of our fee. The reason RAs won't go extinct and our fees actually won't be compressed due to the innovation that is happening is because people still want a relationship. This should be welcomed and not new news to advisors. A relationship is built over time. It's an act of many, heck, millions of small actions. Our clients don't care about the gains. They are scared of the losses. 
But as an objective sounding board, they want us to add value by keeping them from making the silly mistakes that hold families back from retiring early. As an advisor, our story to clients needs to evolve with the times. Being stuck in your way and not adapting to the changing environment will lead to you actually becoming a commodity. Evolving with new technologies and more holistic value propositions is what will keep your clients valuing the relationship as opposed to judging you based solely on returns. Returns in the market tend to revert to the mean. Relationships, though, can create exponential value over time if managed the right way. Gabe, thank you so much for taking the time to join us. And everybody out there listening, thank you for taking the time to join us this week. We'll be back in your ears again next week. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of Bridging the Gap. Don't forget to give us a rating and let us know what you think. 